Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, sometimes Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and uh, Lift for Hope. Rock on. Hey, we have a lot of um, listener mail and uh, some other news. Uh, and actually, the news, I think, is going to lead us into our um, our topic of the day, which I'll just get out right now, which is going to be sort of uh, vices, you know, smoking and drinking and what kind of impact it has on a strength lifestyle. Uh, and you might be surprised at some of what we have to say with that stuff, actually. So let me get to um, one particular email that I got, and I know, Phil, you have some, too. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, this one says, this is from a listener, Ken. Um Hey, I was wondering if you recommend supplementing amino acids and what product do you use if you do? I was looking into something like Blocks, the L-O-X, but I don't want to waste the money if it doesn't do anything. Thanks a ton. Love the show. And then this is what I thought was interesting. I have lost 60 pounds, have brought up my lift significantly since I began listening. In one of the episodes, you mentioned that part of the reason you started the podcast was to inform younger generation not to make the mistakes that you guys did and not to get lost in bro science. I am definitely one of those young guys that you have helped mature. Thanks again. So a nice email from uh, Ken. And if you're wondering, um, just to recap some of what we said on previous shows, um, I'm not a huge fan of just popping individual free-form amino acids. Uh, what I suggested actually here is to, it's probably better just to sip a quality protein or maybe spike your protein with three to five grams of extra leucine um, because the, you know as as Nick Bird said when he was on the anabolic effect of a meal is in fact affected by the you know the amount of leucine uh, in it so I, I rather see somebody do that now having said that if you've got no food around and all you've got is some tablets of branch chains well yeah you know pop a half a dozen of those um, but, you know, I, I think it's probably better if you can get your hands on protein, just do it that way. Um, now, uh, Nick and Stu Phillips and those guys, they did say that you can get away with, I believe, as little as 6 to 10 grams of protein if it's spiked with a couple extra grams of leucine. And you'll get quite a nice effect as long as it's not in the, you're not trying to maximize the post-workout, you know, po- protein synthesis deal. So um, at least that's where I stand on that kind of stuff. And as a follow-up, uh, I heard somebody, or rather read, on our Facebook page, they were complaining about the wispy, almost electrostatic nature of some of these wave, or, uh, leucine products. And um, this is just a tip for everybody, because I complained about that in a review, uh, gosh, months ago. But uh, I agree. This stuff is damn near impossible to work with, some of these leucine peptides. Uh, the straight leucine powders I've seen haven't been quite as bad, but these sort of super micronized things are almost vaporous. Mm-hmm. And here's a tip. Mix it with <clears throat> your protein powder, your straight whey or casein, before 
you add anything else to it. So dry mix it before you try to add fluid. And that'll help keep it from forming little clumps and never dissolving for you and that sort of thing. So um, I, I put them in a, in a closed cap sports bottle and shake up the 10 or 20 grams of, let's say, whey protein with the leucine. Um, that way, if it forms a little gas in there, it's all sealed up. And like I said, the, doing the dry mix first helps it get into solution. So just sort of a little tip. <clears throat> all right, what do you have, man? Stuff. Oh, we got another email from a listener. Um, this one is <clears throat> Ax. Um, Max wanted, wanted to just send us a sincere thank you to all of us. Um, he's been listening for years, and the information is invaluable. Uh, he's used some of the advice and tips that we provided, as well as the motivation. He's added 40 pounds to his frame and about 400 pounds to his powerlifting total in the couple of years he's been listening. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. Um, he's competing this Saturday, probably while we're recording, so right now. So good luck. I'm um, hoping things are going well, and he'll be going for a... 11.50 total at 181 raw, no knee wraps. That's good. So, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Um, so, Max, we wish you luck, and uh, you're welcome. Thank, thanks for listening. Um, Absolutely. This is, this, you know, it's really, really why we do it. Like I, I said it the other day, you know, a voice means nothing without ears. So, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're nothing without you guys. Um, and then uh, it's all the buzz right now on the social media, so we figured we better talk about it too. Mr. Joe Weeder passed away at the ripe old age of 93. 93. Uh, today, yeah. It says he, he passed away of heart failure. So um, Arnold and everybody's not coming out and speaking about it. Um, I don't so. think it's probably a surprise to anybody. Uh, no. I, I don't want to sound cold because, I mean, literally the guy's the founding father of certainly popularizing bodybuilding, you know, the benefits mm-hmm. of that kind of lifting lifestyle. But, um, gosh, for years he's been... He's been in pretty rough mental shape, I think, too, you know. So. Um, well, 93 is not exactly a spring chicken either. No, that's right. That's a good long life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, not like Nasser, who also passed at 47, I think. Okay, yeah, I did not know how, his age. Only uh, 47. I think it was like 47, something like that, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Na- Nasser was one of those... Guys that came along in the mass generation, you know, just crazy mass, yeah. very angry man in my recollection. I've met him a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I saw on our Facebook page, everybody was talking about, uh, you know, the stories that Rob and I had about, about Nasser. And the one guy was right. Um, I did, in fact, mention in the past being out in Venice and looking through the browsing the clothes rack before we actually paid our ridiculous like 15 or 20 bucks to lift there. Um, for the day, and uh, my friend says, "Go look at Nasser," and he's sort of, you know, blundering about it. And Nasser just looks up like this, you know, flaring nostril bull. And I thought, "Oh God, you know, <laughs> he's going to kill us." But, uh, but that's surprising that he's, you know. And again, yeah. it's it's easy to start making speculations about the guy was probably a. Well, everything that I've read know. said it was kidney failure, but. Well, see, that doesn't bode well. I Honestly, yeah. I've heard that for several of these um, <clears throat> former yeah. professional bodybuilders. It makes you wonder, because when you put foreign stuff in your body to such an extent, yeah. you know, your immune system will make complexes that embed in your kidneys and all kinds of things. Yeah, and that's a, you know, I was actually talking to another, you know, a former bodybuilder here yesterday, and uh, just he said, uh, you know, he was just informing me. He, he hasn't been doing it in a while, but he was big into it, you know, 10, 10 years ago. And he said, really, back then, what separated the pros from the 
the top guys from the lower level guys was the, the drug source was uh he said it kind of ran downhill and oh, the top yeah. guys he said the the lower level guys didn't get he said the, the first thing that ran out was the orals and he said all the top guys got all the orals and it kind of went downhill from there um, yeah and i've heard a lot of uh you know backstage talk about dirty drugs you know yeah, stuff like you know. that so. obviously if it's dirty enough it's going to make you very sick you have some kind of reaction immediately but you know yeah. what i'm talking about like veterinary stuff and then yeah or or, or further down the you know the road there yeah so. well and you know what and i'm not just saying i'm not making one comment you know or the other about nasser's heavy use i don't know anything about it you know what i mean i don't want to take anything from the guy i think he did bring yeah. something to the stage like you know, mass. I mean, yeah. crazy, crazy mass. And he, yeah. he, at least you could say the guy had a real personality. Whereas, you know, I've lost a little bit of interest uh, in recent years in some of the pro ranks. I just don't see those kinds of extreme personalities as much anymore. Yeah. I mean, they could be there. Maybe I'm just not aware. But anyway, so that's sad to hear. Yeah, for sure. Nasser and Weeder. Wow. In one week. Yeah, that, that's some losses. Um, I had a bit of news from Sean Casey in the science news here. He sent us a paper. It's in the new um, Med Size Sports Exercise, March 2013. It's very new. Um, post-resistance exercise ethanol ingestion and acute testosterone bioavailability. So listeners, of course, ethanol is booze right it's alcohol if yeah. we don't drink methanol that's wood alcohol that would kill you so <laughs> uh, this is from texas a, a group of researchers from texas uh let me skip to some of the juicy stuff eight resistance trained men uh 25 years old uh 88 kilos so you know they're 190 pounds ish i'm thinking yeah. uh not tiny uh they did six sets of 10 smith squats uh separated by a week uh, and then they ingested a gram of grain alcohol per kilogram of lean mass. So let me think about this. A gram. I think an average drink is uh, about a dozen grams, if that makes sense. So I don't know. Uh, let's say take a 200-pound guy, 85%. So I'm guessing half a dozen drinks maybe yeah. uh, of grain alcohol, uh, if you just kind of boil it down into drinks. So uh, no small amount, not a crazy yeah. amount, but that seems substantial if my math is right there. So maybe half a dozen drinks. Uh, here's what they did um, every 20 minutes post-exercise for 300 minutes. So five hours, of course. They drew blood. Um, results. Total testosterone and free testosterone were elevated significantly. Also free androgen index. So let's see, 22.5 nanomoles per liter for total testosterone in the group that got the booze and 13.9 in the guys who did not. So that's substantial, 22.5 versus just 13.9. So a big difference in total testosterone. Free testosterone, yeah, also, you know, I hate to say double, almost double in the group that got the... um, the alcohol. No differences between conditions were noted for like the binding globulins or cortisol. Uh, and I find this interesting, or estrogen, because I've heard that alcohol increases estrogen, uh, you know, increases aromatase activity in estrogen, but maybe that's more of a chronic thing instead of immediately post exercise. Yeah. Um, it says conclusion post exercise ethanol ingestion affects the hormonal milieu 
including testosterone concentration and bioavailability during recovery from resistance exercise. So I think Sean Casey, who turned us on to this, was suggesting, you know, he can see the ads now, you know, on the bottles. Like they're actually going to put a, um, you know, a gram or two of, of straight-up ethanol in their post-workout yeah. products, you know. Great. <laughs> so uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that actually brings us to our, our topic of the day, which we'll get to when we come back, which is about smoking and drinking. We'll tell you some stories uh, that we've seen and um, you know, share a little science, and we'll see where this goes. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hello, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lowry. I just want to offer an update on the protein and resistance exercise book that you hear about in ads at the end of the show. The publisher and I realize that the textbooks have become expensive. This one's $99. So individual electronic chapters have been made available for $20. US As with Iron Radio, my primary drive here is to get valid, reliable information into the hands of fellow lifters. So if you simply Google CRC Press Protein, you'll find the page where the book is sold. By clicking on ebook purchase at the right, you'll be taken to a page with free introductory parts of the book, as well as each chapter in electronic PDF format. There's also links uh, to other sources in this version. So whether you're interested in an academic heavy hitter like Dr. Peter Lemon sharing protein's history and strength training, or you're a biochem nerd like me and you want to just look at chapter two on protein synthesis and breakdown, or if you want to cut to the chase and get to a chapter on using protein weight control or case studies, you can now do so for just 20 bucks. So please check out CRC Press Protein and see which chapter topic may interest you. Thanks. Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, listeners, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about vices, 
smoking and drinking with strength athletes. And uh, I said we'd, we'd tell some stories. Um, I can tell you, let's start with the smoking thing. One of the things that shocked me about smoking, and Phil, I know you've seen some things too, but is um, obviously with all the sort of deleterious, you know, scary things you hear about smoking and lung cancer or, or ca- many different cancers or heart disease, uh, it really shocked me the first time I was at Venice Beach. I went up there. I was a grad student in San Diego. We went up there, and I'm like, oh, you know, sort of like walking in the halls of Valhalla up there. And, and I see these ripped to shreds bodybuilders walking around on the street smoking. And, you know, being um, an exercise science major, I was sort of bitterly disappointed, really. You know, that look at these guys are smoking. These guys are they're uh, soiling, you know, my sacred pastime mm-hmm. here. Um, but, you know, there's sort of a maturing process with this. And um, the guy who was with me, he goes, well, Lonnie, you know, they're they're trying to crush their estrogen. You know, they don't want to end up with bitch tits. They don't want to be soft. Uh, they're going to compete, and they want to get that out of their body. And um, there is some truth, if you look at the literature, to reducing estrogen. It was just something that shocked me. Let me give you one um, little study here. This is from 1990, uh, Human Reproduction by Shulman and colleagues. It says, smoking out the estrogens. That's the name of it. It says, um, smoking decreases estrogen secretion. It also goes on to say, um, smoking may speed up the metabolic degradation of estrogen via the two uh, hydroxylation pathway. Uh, and then it talks about relationships, you know, to what that might do. Um, and I think a lot of this is with regards to women or menopause or osteoporosis because people know that smoking is, you know, um, bad for your bones. Um, but, you know, there it is, actually reducing estrogen secretion and maybe even decreasing its its breakdown, its degradation. Yeah. Uh, so there was something uh, to that. You know, I'm not saying that's the best thing you should probably be doing to, to, you know, squash the estrogen out of your body as a male if you're trying to get rock hard. But, Phil, you said you saw something in competition, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think it was the first Olympia I went to. And being able to get backstage um, with the figure competitors and the bodybuilders and stuff. And it, it was like, especially the figure competitors, it was like every one of them was a smoker. Um, and that's something you wouldn't think of right away. But, I mean, you get to talking to them, and a lot of them, they're like, yeah, it's dieting time. You know, so they're, <laughs> and they do. Uh, you know, it, it's a stimulant. It also curbs appetite, stuff like that. Oh, sure. There's um, a good point, yeah. <clears throat> so they'd use it for that. And then I knew other people that, uh, you know, talk to them, and they would just, uh, instead they would get, they're chewing nicotine gum or wearing patches and stuff like that. Now, that's an interesting point, too. I remember, oh, gosh, just two years ago, Chris Shugart was talking about chewing nicotine gum and trying to get some of the benefits. Uh, One of the things that I thought was very odd and interesting about uh, nicotine and smoking or nicotine gum is that it actually enhances, apparently, uh, certain aspects of learning and memory which I thought was pretty wild. But you do have those sort of nicotinic receptors in your nervous system. Yeah. Maybe we can get a, a you know neurobiologist on here and explain it to us. I, I, I don't pretend to know. But, um, yeah, but all these things that we've discussed, you know, <clears throat> reduced estrogen, curbed appetite, sped yeah. metabolism. One of my concerns would be that when you stop, um, you know, there's always that sort of central fat gain risk. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how well that's been ex- described before, but my nutrition advisor of many years, uh, he always had sort of a, you know, a big paunch. And he ate very cleanly. I mean, at lunch, he had like a turkey sandwich and broccoli and cauliflower and carrots and stuff. And I said, you know, 
you seem to eat really well and you know what's up with the you know the belly <laughs> i mean i knew him quite well after by yeah. this point of course and he said you know i stopped smoking and i put 40 pounds on all at once yeah. um you know this was many years ago and it stuck it stayed yeah. so you know i i suppose there could be that sort of rebound risk with some of this stuff i don't know yeah and you know i mean the other than that i mean at, from the athlete perspective geez i think people would be shocked um at, at how many people do um especially you know i mean it's give and take on the strength end and hell i mean it used to everybody's seen the pictures where they saw the, the cyclist you know in the tour de france and they used to hand them cigarettes <laughs> their brakes and things when they still believed <laughs> it was upping their their cardio um but uh you know, I mean, with these athletes that, you know, their whole job is to do one rep. Um, you know, I've seen some things. I was talking to a friend the other day, and they were at a big strongman competition, and one of the guys came out and hit, uh, I'll leave names out of it, but hit like a 465 uh, log clean and jerk, and then put it down, and he was out back smoking a cigarette. And they said, you know, he normally doesn't. He's not a, uh, what would you call it, perpetual smoker or habitual smoker. He, uh, But during competitions, he will. Um, wow, yeah. And things like that. And then, no, I mean, I don't know, the use of chewing tobacco amongst athletes in football, baseball, strike sports, stuff like that. I mean, it's, I think it's a lot bigger than people realize. But Yeah, it's it's a kind of thing that sort of it gets nothing but um, blindly negative press in, yeah. uh, like, a muscle and fitness kind of magazine. Uh-huh. When I think it would be more helpful to say, what do these things actually do to you, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, why are athletes sometimes interested in stuff like smoking mm-hmm. or or having a drink, or what have you. Um, so let me ask you some questions about this, because I've got several ways that you can go with this, I think. I mean, there's the stress reduction side, yeah. you know, that, you know, arguably, you sit around, you you know, you have a drink, you smoke a stogie. Maybe if you've been, you know, really um, strung out, you know, I, I, I don't see that as complete blasphemy, especially with some of the powerlifters I've known. Mm-hmm. Even some of the guys we have had on the show talking about, you know, you know, just be a man about it and stop fretting yeah. over some of these things to such an extent. Now, I'm not yeah. condoning uh, anything, one thing or another, but how about if you describe, Phil, for listeners, just how would you define, uh, you know, a partying lifestyle and what that can do to your training versus something like having having a drink? Oh, geez. I mean, it is, and it's worse now that I'm getting older. <laughs> like, um, I can't go out and have a bender. Mm. And, you know, if I do mm-hmm. that, it's like I'm, I'll ruin like a week of training. For one night, I, I can't recover like I used to. But um, you know what? I've often wrestled with that myself. <laughs> that is it, is it that my liver, my older liver, can't handle it, or is it that I'm just too smart to keep doing that to myself? Yeah, exactly. You know? I don't know. Um, but I mean, you know, I think the difference I, there there is a huge difference in between, you know, going out, especially if it's competition or something. If I have a competition, you know. Yeah, we're gonna go out the next day and have a couple after it and have a couple drinks and you know maybe we do have a stogie and this and that and there's there's a huge difference um, and sitting down at night with with friends and having a few drinks you know I think there's a I mean it's been shown time and time again that it, it can be very beneficial um, it's when you take that overboard um, I think that it's it's uh, it can be problematic and it starts affecting your training in, in a negative way um, you know right. if you're going out tying one on every night. Um, 
then you know you're not waking up, you're not making your training, or you're getting, you know, it, it's affecting it negatively where you're, you know, you're hitting fifty percent of what you would be able to if you didn't. Right. I'll tell like you, uh, one of the things that I've told collegiate athletes before, like football players, you know, in the weight room and that sort of thing, they'll ask about it, and I'll, be, you know, it's it's very hard to sell the message of just say no. I'm not a big fan of that. So I'd say, well, here's why. You know, one thing, for for example, although they didn't see it acutely in that study I just read from Sean, but um, mm. was, you know, increased aromatase activity, you know, and increased yeah. estrogen production. I mean, you can find case studies of guys who, especially if they're, you know, smoking pot and drinking, actually end up with gynecomastia, yeah. you know, because their estrogen levels get so high, yeah. you know, uh, quote-unquote bitch tits. Yeah. And uh, that's a kind of message that these guys are like, well, I don't want a lot of estrogen in me, you know. Yeah. But I, honestly, I, I think the the simple message is it shouldn't be part of your uh, in training lifestyle. You know, if, yeah. if you're if you're a you know training diet recovery, if you're seriously you know in training, yeah, then you know partying's not really. You can put that on hold for a while. Yeah, you know, as opposed to off season when you've got a little bit more time. I mean, I used to know a guy in college and he, he was into bodybuilding and he's like, you know, Lonnie, he goes, it's just extra calories. I mean, ethanol does have oh, yeah. seven calories yeah. per gram, yeah. you know, um, so not quite as much as fat, but more than carbs and, and proteins. No, and I mean, it's also interesting, the fact that it's very, it's sparing of other calories. In uh, the fact that, you know, the ethanol is going to be burnt before anything else is. And the rest of the stuff, you know, the protein and stuff like that is going to be more held towards storage until that ethanol is out of your body. Yeah, uh, um, one of the things that I think weirds out some students about ethanol is if you drink a, a ton, because it is metabolized so quickly, it'll mm-hmm. actually rearrange and, and become triglycerides. And you, you'll see people with real high blood triglyceride response after, you mm-hmm. know, like right in the middle of drinking. And even that nutrition professor I told you about, he surprised me years ago and he said, you know, one night of heavy drinking, you know, half a dozen drinks or more, yeah. uh, you'll a- actually end up with a certain level of uh, acute fatty liver. Yeah. You know, where, because like you're saying, the, the metabolic pathways just, you know, tear that apart so quickly and it'll actually rearrange it into some, you know, fat and you end up with kind of a fatty liver. Uh, and a lot of people probably don't realize you could do that in a single night. Now, that, that's not the same time, uh, kind of fatty liver that you might see with, um, you know, people with really poor lifestyle and metabolic yeah. syndrome and all that kind of stuff. But it, um, you know, it's more acute than that. But. Yeah. And I, but I mean, I think there's also a point where, I mean, I, and I've been there. Where you just restrict yourself too much, and you're like, you know, you you won't let loose and have a drink with your friends. You won't. I mean, there's a point where it, it can be stress relieving, like you said. It's just hey, sit down and enjoy yourself. Um, right, and not fret over. And, Actually, that's my one of my questions for you is, do you think people fret like the magazines and the press? They fret over alcohol too much, or did, did I they think give so. it? I think it, like it's like a lot of things in the fitness industry. It's like people. It's good or bad. There's nowhere in between. Um, you know, and I see that with a lot of things. I see it with sodium. I see it with fat or carbs or people like putting definite labels on things. And it's, you know, it, it can't, it can't be a gray area. You know, moderation doesn't work. It's either yes or no type of thing. Well, especially and, because you get some of these, um, and you see this in the scientific community too. They'll sort of get on a bandwagon, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll just say bad. Drinking yeah, is bad. Exactly. Well, like we said, there's a difference between having, you know, uh, a, a small glass of whiskey once a month, you know, with, yeah. and relaxing with some friends versus, you know, going out and, and getting yourself just snookered. Yes, and there's a huge difference. And I mean, I've been in both places, and it's, you know, now I don't even want to do that. I mean, very rarely we'll go out and, you know, 
have a really good time. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, now it's, it's, it's nothing for me to, you know, like when we were here, we went out to dinner and we had a drink at dinner. Right. And then we had another one at the hotel and it was, you know, and it pretty much stopped there. Um, there's a huge difference in that and especially when you had to wake up at eight in the morning and work with people again. Um, right. But, you know, it's, it's, there's something relaxing about just letting go. And I mean, if you let the science back you up, I mean, there's uh, plenty of studies out there that said having a drink or two can actually be beneficial. Well, actually, it's I when you bring that into 10 or 12. Here's one. <laughs> here's one. Alcohol consumption, cardiovascular health, uh, et cetera. It's BAU, Bowel, uh, and colleagues. It's from the journal Alcohol, 2007. So there's a whole journal devoted to this stuff. It says alcohol may have both protective and harmful effects on cardiovascular health, et cetera, et cetera. And I think people know that, right? You've heard about yeah. the whole one to two drinks actually a day, yeah. uh, more, more close to two for a guy, one for a woman. That's probably because men and women have different amounts of, uh, like, alcohol dehydrogenase, uh, the enzyme that breaks down uh, alcohol in the body. Uh, but So that's why it's a little bit higher for men. But Plus there's the body weight issue and all that sort of thing. But, but uh, yeah, obviously there could be beneficial effects. And for ages, they were trying to tease apart things like the French paradox, you know, the People in France, they historically eat a lot of butters and heavy creams, and yeah. and yet they have a healthier overall profile than we do in the states. And I, at first, they were thinking, oh, it's just the phytochemicals in the wine, you know, some yeah. of the phenols in the wine. And I yeah. think they came kind of came around and said, no, actually, ethanol itself uh, is helpful for like raising HDL alcohol, or I'm sorry, HDL, uh, you know, cholesterol. Uh, in your circulation and that kind of thing, so it kind of goes back, right? Like, like just like you, like you said, even um, if you look at the science, there could be yeah. some uh, protective effects. Uh, on the flip side, alcohol—if you're hi hypertensive, you don't want to be drinking a lot because that's going to make your blood pressure sky high. Yeah. You know, um, that's something I've talked to with uh, with bodybuilders before. Some of who were hypertensive, they're like, "Oh, well, it's good for my heart." I'm like, "Well." Yeah, but it's, you know, your blood pressure's already high. It's not going to help you there. <laughs> so it's kind of a, you know, yeah. give and take. It depends on the individual. Yeah. In fact, down here in the same paper by Bao and colleagues, it says there's genetic and phenotypic or physical um, differences in alcohol response. Mm -hmm. um, so, and of course there are. Uh, so some people can get away with it a lot more than others. Some people are, I think it's going to, you know, they, and I don't just mean because they have an addictive personality or family history yeah. of alcoholism, but their physical response to alcohol is not the same as the next guy. Yeah. You know. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think, jeez, it, it's hard for me because I mean, I'm not going to lie and say there weren't times that I really tied them on for a long time and still trained. And there was in my 20s. You know, oh, I, I did mean, that in I, college. I, sure. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. I go out and. You know, and, and, and do it a lot. And it was, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you if it's, it's mindset now or it's age or it's just I'm, you know, it, it could be a multiple of factors, you know. There's a big difference in, let's say, you know, I was able to deadlift 450 then and now I'm at 700 plus deadlifter. So, you know, it's harder, it's harder, you know, every right. little bit counts now. Well, and uh, actually, yeah, you know. there was a, there was a study when I was a grad student, uh, at Kent State. And, uh, I don't know if I ever told people this story on, on the air, but, uh, they, they took us into the lab, and I mean, this is very strange to be serving alcohol in the exercise physiology lab, you know, because it's not <laughs> the kind of place you sit around, you know, buzzing. Yeah. Um, but half the, half the people in the study got substantial amounts of, of vodka was mm -hmm. our, um, you know, poison of choice. Yeah. And, um, 
the other half did not. And then they got us up early the next morning at like five or six a.m. and ran ran us downhill on a treadmill. Mm. Uh, and then they took blood draws throughout the course of the day. Um, and you know they got they got the half the subjects in the lab they are good and drunk. Um, and how bizarre <laughs> is that for students to be drunk with their professor you know, in, in the lab? But yeah. and you know and how do you do a placebo? I mean the half that wasn't getting the vodka. I'm sorry, mm. there's not going to be a, a decent placebo for <laughs> for ethanol. But yeah. they took blood draws and they were looking for markers of uh, skeletal muscle damage, like creatine kinase, ALT, AST. There's several, and um, they did seem to be higher in the people who drank the night before. And I think the study was trying to get at, hey, if you do tie one on the night before uh, and you exercise the next day, you know, we know that alcohol is a denaturing agent and it sort of has an almost dissolving effect on on proteins and you know on skeletal muscle. And yeah. will this you know, really hurt your practice. You know, should you even go to go to lifting practice or something next morning? And uh, there was a tendency toward more to the damage markers, but again, yeah. there were individual differences. Um, but it was enough to make you, you know, give you pause and think. Yeah, you know, if I drank the night before, should I have the discipline to go train really hard the next day, or am I just going to screw myself up? Yeah. Um, you know, with the recovery. Because recovery. Another interesting one is because I took up. You know, I've been a power lifter for a long time, and then I took up Highland Games late. And one of the most interesting things about the Highland Games was stepping on the field, and then they'd, you know, we're doing the, the, the everybody meets in the middle of the field before it, and they'd say a Scottish prayer, and they're passing around a thing of whiskey. Um, yeah. <laughs> and for me, honestly, I found it, it was beneficial for me to have a few drinks out on the field while I'm throwing. Um, because I had, for the last decade, I'd been in a sport that was nothing but get tight, get rigid. Um, mm -hmm. and now I'm in a sport where be strong, but be fluid, you know, and finding the right amount of that, it kind of loosened me up, but I'm like, okay, I'm ready to throw things, you know, yeah. type of thing. That's an was, interesting it point because to me. it's kind of the opposite. You know, mm -hmm. I was talking about caffeine, you know, yeah. and it making you like you're saying almost tight and hyper stimulated, yeah. mm -hmm. whereas you know, ethanol would be sort of a, a central nervous system depressant. Yeah. But you wonder, yeah, maybe relaxing certain antagonists or, you know, muscles or something, maybe this could be good yeah. in some ways. It's um, And it definitely was for my throwing. I mean, I could see, you know, feet on the on the implement, you know, as, yeah. I, as I loosened up and things just moved better. But, uh, you know, it's uh, just interesting stuff. Well, you know, and not to sound cliche, but I could see how that sort of whole drinking and lifting heavy things almost goes together in a manly manner when, as yeah. far as the, the, uh, the, you know, some of the, uh, Highland the Scottish games. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah, it is. Right. You know, and that's what, I mean, I was, you know, and then I made it to A class and then I'd still, I'm still out there having a drink and all these other people are, well, we take it much more serious than this. I'm like, well, I'm taking it serious too. I'm just having a drink. Right. <laughs> You've got honor tradition. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, here's uh, one more. Uh, I only have one last uh, one paper, one little story here. Um, this is from uh, Yikahari and colleagues. Uh, Hormonal changes during alcohol intoxication and withdrawal. This is uh, Pharmacology, Biochemistry, Behavior, 1980. This is an old paper now. Uh, it's funny to say that, but. It says, uh, alcohol enhances glucose-induced insulin secretion. Uh, now, I think that's very interesting. Um, so if you have booze with your carbs, you're going to dump more insulin. And to be completely honest, I can almost, my Frankenstein side of my brain starts saying, how can you manipulate that, right? I yeah. mean, 
um, it almost makes it sound like a carb meal would be more anabolic if you're yeah. going to secrete more insulin in response to it. Of course, insulin could backfire and just uh, make you fat if you overdo it too. But yeah. um, it also says alcohol increases, here's a downside, I suppose, cortisol secretion from the adrenal cortex, either by increasing ACTH secretion or more probably by directly stimulating the adrenal glands. Um, I wouldn't have guessed that, to be honest. Yeah. I would have yeah. thought that if cortisol is part and parcel of a stress response, then it might even go down. Yeah. Um, but this says it increases it. Yeah, so. I mean, you get that, what, what they call liquid courage. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can squat a thousand, load it up, you know. <laughs> um, it does talk about um, plasma luteinizing hormone concentration is increased uh, by alcohol, and that would, that would, in fact, go along with that study that, that Sean sent in about higher, you know, free tea uh, and total yeah. tea after a... After training, actually, yeah. it's funny what he said. It really kind of goes along with the Scottish Games thing, you know, with yeah. with the Highland stuff. I yeah. mean, um, you know, you see all these sort of heavily muscled bald dudes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I tossing think, cabers and drinking, you know. And, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think if if I just look back and I just take a very simplistic, you know, view of what I've seen, I can tell you the the biggest, the strongest, the most ripped. People are—they're not as anal as everybody tries to think they are about things. You know, with diet, with this topic, you know, it's like yeah, they'll relax, they'll have a drink and a stogie. You know, yeah. um, you know, their diet isn't—you know—they're not weighing every gram 365 days a year type of thing. Sure, they go through those stages when they have to, but you know, the majority of life is a much more relaxed. Uh, yeah, I can do a little bit of this. And it does sort of fit. It fits the message. So many people have been on on the show here talking about the simplicity factor. Yeah. And like you're saying, not um, fretting over minutia. You know, yeah. like if uh, you go have a drink. There was actually a time when I was probably an undergrad or uh, late teens, and I was one of those guys that counted everything. Mm-hmm. I remember having oh, yeah. a couple of pieces of pizza and just thinking, mm-hmm. oh, man, what am I doing to myself? Wow, you know. Yeah, I'm so glad I was able to mature beyond. No, that. and I was there too. I mean, I just and I was, I was joking about this with my wife because we got we got to clean out one of our storage garages here, and I was digging through a box and I found an old food journal from about ten years ago. Oh boy! And I literally weighed every gram of everything. It was like, wow! I'm glad I learned a lot during that, but I'm glad I'm past it. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, it's it, no, it goes along with the thing. I mean, we we talked about it before. Stress is stress. And we put ourselves through so much physical stress, you got to relax a little bit in other places. You it know, does make you every think, Every part of your life can't be that stressful. Yeah. With so. the keep it simple principle, it does make you think, that, you know, in a balanced arrangement, yeah. you know, maybe, it, you know, it could actually be a good thing in a sense. We are purposely putting our bodies under stress that the average person doesn't do. Amen. I say that to <laughs> university athletes all the time. I'll say, you know, do you think the average student walking on that sidewalk out there knows what it's like to be completely glycogen depleted, like down to zero after a two-hour practice? They don't even know what that's like. Yeah. You know, uh, and so, you know, putting back and, you know, yeah. sometimes that's psychologically putting some things back, too. I just want to share one last little quick story. There was actually a, a researcher at the Cleveland Clinic. This was uh, several years ago. But he was so interested in alcohol as a calorie source, right? Because alcohol is so interesting. It's a, yeah. it's a calorie source, but it's not a nutrient, of, of course. Your body doesn't yeah. need it. Um, 
but he was toying around with uh, different chemical analogs of ethanol. So trying to, I think, reduce some of the maybe the the, the toxicity, but keep the the caloric <clears throat> value with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember the details. Somebody maybe can uh, let me know, dig around on the you know Cleveland Clinic research stuff pages, but. Um, he was actually playing with this as a calorie source for people who badly needed calories, almost like um, in a clinical way, you know, people that were waste, had wasting disorders or whatever. So uh, there, maybe there is something to that. You know, relax, uh, get your insulin, yeah. <laughs> spike and have some, yeah. you know, wings, I don't know, and, and a beer. Yeah. Uh, have a Guinness and relax. You know? Exactly. Add that fourth macronutrient. You know, <laughs> add a little bit of alcohol to the protein, fats, and carbs. Right, yeah. So, well, anyway, so... Um, I, that'll probably be it for for this week, everybody. I, it's sort of a shorter episode, but uh, my sinuses are insisting that I'm coming down with something here, and it's I'm I, I'm struggling drinking hot tea just to do the show. So, uh, anything uh, left out of you, Phil? No, I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah, it's just a topic we've never really talked about before, and like I said, it just needs it needs addressed from a rational perspective from both sides I mean, instead I of think, just say no all the time because then you don't realize what these things are actually doing to you. And after seeing so much, I really, I'm really accepting of what about anybody does. I've seen, you know, like you said, your dreams were crushed when you went to Venice Beach. It's like nothing surprises me anymore. So it's like, why do I even care if I see freaking, you know, that's yeah, right. Flex Wheeler, step off the stage and go have a beer and a stogie. Who cares? No. <laughs> I, I do think you get to the point, too. And maybe that's partly, um, you know, you got to live uh, an extra decade beyond, you know, your early 20s unless you're unusually mature. But you start to balance. Uh, so many guys that I talk about that are pretty serious athletes in their mid-late 30s and 40s, they really do strike a balance a little bit yeah. better with, you know, just enjoying life and that yeah. sort of thing. So. Okay, cool stuff. That'll work, guys. Until next week. Thanks for listening. Good luck on everybody who's doing meets this weekend. There seems like a bunch of them. So. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or 
increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here, I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because like you, I wanna have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.